Welcome everyone to the Character Podcasts. Uh, this is going to be the first of three Character Podcasts. So this is uh, Naomi. My name is Austin Fedchuk. I am an InterVarsity campus staff at UBC. And I'm here with Kristen Bergen and Matt Allen, who were the Naomi Manuscript teachers at our spring scripture conference, RuthCon. If you did not attend RuthCon, welcome. We hope that your experience going through the Book of Ruth um, has been great so far and will continue to be great. We know that not everyone could attend RuthCon, so we wanted to create some study resources and podcasts to help you as you study this text on your own or with a small group. Uh, Kristen and Matt are going to help us understand some of the themes that come out of Naomi's story and experience. If you were at RuthCon, welcome back. Uh, some of this might be familiar, but I'm sure there will be something new for you, especially if you were part of a different character group uh, at the conference. So I would love for Kristen and Matt to introduce themselves. So Kristen, why don't you start and tell us a bit about yourself? Sounds good. So yeah, my name is Kristen. Um, I am currently an InterVarsity volunteer here in Prince George, BC, um, helping out at the UMBC as well as CNC and PG. Um, yeah, like I, this year has just been a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I think some of the things I've learned in the middle of this pandemic has been what it looks like to eat wild game. So like I have tried bear and uh, what was the other one? Elk was another interesting one. Um, but yeah, I enjoy like music and writing and yeah, just enjoy like a lot of the arts. Like I feel like for myself, I am a jack of all trades in the arts and yet a master of none. Um, but it is all fun in the end. So yeah, that is a little bit about me. Thanks, Kristen. And Matt, how about you? Wow. Wild game. That sounds, that sounds nice. Uh, I have not been living that life. Uh, I have been in Vancouver uh, in the uh, urban setting. Um, and I have been enjoying um, working with some of the international students in Vancouver, especially at UBC. Um, and that has been a real privilege to, to get to know them and to um, do Bible studies with them and, and uh, walk with them the past year. Uh, it's also been a tumultuous year of just uh, thinking I was going to East Asia uh, for a little while and then being relocated to, uh, to Vancouver and uh, also before that uh, getting married. So it's been a, a, a big year. Um, and in the midst of that, uh, picked up a little bit of uh, sourdough bread making, which has been a fun fun way to spend some of the pandemic time yeah that's me nice thank you both so let's dive into into the character of naomi uh, and i think uh, a big focus for our time during RuthCon was in chapter one and a little bit of chapter two so um, in chapter one before there was any dialogue we're given some context for the book. So could you tell us some of the key things that you observe in the text and maybe what that means for Naomi as she is coming back to Israel with these two Moabite daughter-in-laws? So Kristen, maybe you could take that. Yeah, and I think like um, the author gives 
you know, the setup for the scene and like what we are entering into in Naomi's situation. And it's really easy when we read the Bible to zoom by it and be like, okay, this is what happened. Um, Because it's just in this little body of text. But what the author sets up for Naomi is a couple of really tragic events that have happened in her life. Um, you know, we see that, you know, she moved from her, her home in Bethlehem. So she um, was an Israelite that moved with her husband, Elimelech, um, to Moabite. You know, her two sons, they found wives like Orpah and Ruth, the title of her book. Um, and then we have a lot of horrible things that happen to her. Um, first, her husband dies. And again, like, I think it's an event that we can very quickly read. But if we zoom in on that moment, it's a very significant tragedy that has happened in Naomi's life. Um, There's a famine happening in Moabite. And I think now that, you know, we are living in in a pandemic in our Western culture, you know, we have a little bit of a glimpse of what a natural disaster feels like. And so here we have a famine that is happening in the land. Um, In addition to this, her sons also die. Again, another horrible event in Naomi's life. Um, And there's a couple of commentators that also call Naomi the female Job. Um, You know, there's just some significant loss that the author has set up and that we are entering into as we, yeah, go into the story. It is one that starts first with tragedy. Yeah, thank you. And while on the way back to Bethlehem, Naomi tries to send these daughter-in-laws back to Moab. Um, Maybe could you unpack the dynamics playing out between Naomi and Ruth and Orpah in this really emotional back and forth uh, in verses 8 to 18? Like, why doesn't Naomi want these women to join her? And who is Naomi that these women would push so hard to fall for her? Matt, let's start with you and then we can come back to Kristen. Well, I think the first thing that we we talk about, think about is um, we start the story starts with um, Naomi leaving Bethlehem because of a famine, and so finally she hears news of that there is food in uh, back in Israel, and so she's lost everything in uh, in Moab. She's lost her husband, her two sons. These are just gone. Uh, and so she's feeling like, and she's lost her land. She's no longer in Israel. And so she's feeling like, oh, she wants to take her family back to Israel. And so that is these daughter, these daughter-in-laws. But as she is going, she realizes what this means. It means that she has to provide for them. And she is still mourning. She is still processing the loss of all these people around her. And so she just says, no, go back. It will be easier for you if you stay in Moab. It's going to be hard to go to Israel. I can't take care of you. I don't have the capacity to take care of you right now. So go back. You know that culture. You know you have family there. Just go back. Um, And so that's what she's trying to, to do. Ruth, uh, Ruth refuses, and and Naomi sees the persistence in Ruth, and so is able to follow her. But Kristen, do you want to tackle why? Uh, what is Naomi's character? Yeah, so there's a couple things that we can learn about Naomi from this text. The first one being that Naomi in Hebrew it means lovely, it means pleasant, it means sweet, 
And it may have been a name that she actually lived out. You know, you can see that Ruth and Orpah are clinging to her and weeping. And this shows us, the reader, that they had a really good relationship with their mother-in-law. You know, we can see that they didn't want to leave or be separated from Naomi. In addition to this, another thing that we can tell about Naomi's character is that when she comes back to Bethlehem, the people in her community recognize her. So after being away for 10 years in Moab, she still had a pretty significant impact in her community after, and she was recognized after many years of being apart for so long. The second thing that we can tell in the text for Naomi is that there are many parts that show that while everyone around her was dying, while she was in the middle of tragedy, she still had faith. For example, she gives this beautiful blessing to Orpah and Ruth. Naomi herself is not in a good place in her faith, but she still believes. And because her relationship with God is struggling, she may have told Ruth and Orpah to go back to Moab to deal with her people's God while she was wrestling and struggling in her faith. In our manuscript study, one of the things someone pointed out was that maybe in Naomi's bitterness, she felt like this was between her and God. And it was better for her to work things out with God alone and for Ruth and Orpah to go. Because we can also see in the text that she cared about Ruth and Orpah's security. You know, she points to the fact that she can't have another son for them. Which at this time for a woman, having a husband and a son was a huge part of their security. Very different for our culture today. For Ruth, she would have had a much easier time going back to Moab than coming to Israel, where there was a slimmer chance of an Israelite taking a Moabite as their wife. What results is an emotional exchange between Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. In um, their culture, giving someone a kiss was an emotional goodbye to someone. And you can see in this scene where Ruth is clinging to Naomi and saying, I will not leave you. Eventually, Naomi gives it and says, okay, you may come with me. Yeah, thank you. There is so much emotion uh, playing out in in the middle of this book. And I feel like there's uh, a shift even from this exchange um, where Ruth and Orpah, um, they, they try and push back on Naomi, but then uh, once Naomi agrees to let Ruth come with her, there's this, it feels like an emotional shift. So upon returning to Bethlehem, um, Naomi is with uh, Ruth, and it seems like Naomi is being really upfront and honest with her community when they uh, welcome her back. She's being honest about how she is doing in her grief and the cause of it. So I'm wondering why, why do you think she responds so strongly to her community with the language she uses? Matt, maybe you could tackle that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of emotion in this, but I think the wound to her is just so vulnerable and it is so, um, she has to just wear it. She can't help but be frank with people because it, it even just starts with her name. Like her name is sweet. Like she has this characteristic about her that she is able to live out. Um, but as soon as she comes back, she's like, I cannot be called sweet anymore. I need to be called bitter because that is how she 
is feeling at that time. And so just to that, always hearing her name is reminding her of, of what used to be and what was. And so she's like, I need to change my name. I can't, I can't continue to live in this. And so she has to be frank with her community and say, this is what I need. I am not in like a great place. I need to just be telling you because that's part of her healing process. Uh, just like actually telling people and not just covering it up and saying like, oh yeah, I'm fine and it's okay. Uh, but she just needs to state it. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, and Kristen, for, for setting up uh, this text, um, for basically chapter one, um, there is so much going on. And I know for, for those who came to Naomi uh, character group, the invitation to the group was, what do you do when you have nothing left to give? Come and learn from Naomi. So what are some of the things that we can learn from Naomi in this first chapter and maybe a bit of the second? Like, what are, what are some of the lessons that you see in this text that we can apply today in our lives? Uh, Kristen, maybe you want to start. Yeah, I think there are three things that we can learn from Naomi. The first one being, it is okay to be honest with yourself. You know, Naomi is really honest about how she's viewing God. You know, she doesn't say what I like to call the Band-Aid Christian answers, or I guess in this case, the Israelite answers of, oh, the God of Israel is good, therefore I'm fine. Instead, Naomi says, no, the Lord is bitter against me. Like he's raised his hand against me. And I believe this because of the tragedy that has happened in my life. When her community comes to her and they say, Naomi, it's good to see you. She responds and says, no, I am not Naomi. I am Mara. I am bitter. So the first application is that Naomi is just very honest about one, where she is with herself. Two, where she is with God. And three, honesty with her community. And what Naomi does here is actually challenge a lot of her Western narrative of, you know, the I'm fine answers that we often give people. You know, we often tell people when they ask, hey, how are you doing today? We respond with a simple, I'm fine. I'm doing good. Life couldn't be better. And with the rise of social media, I think that this has actually been amplified. You know, we see our friends on Instagram um, showing just how, you know, their mountain hikes and their cold brew and so many things about their lives. And it's the highlight of their lives. And sometimes we can often feel a bitterness and jealousy that maybe our lives should also look like that, too. In addition to that, I think she also challenges sometimes our Christian culture, and it goes back to that those uh, Band-Aid answers. We do know that God is good, and he makes all things work out for the good of those that love him. And yet, we can sometimes use those lines as an excuse not to be honest about how we're actually doing, and instead we fall into the trap of, this is how I should be doing. So the first application that we can take from this is to take a moment to step back, and I think especially after this pandemic year, and ask ourselves, how am I actually doing after all that has happened this year? Where am I in my faith, and am I actually okay? And then from there to know that that honesty 
while I think we can be tempted to feel shame because we think we're not where we should be, but instead it brings a lot of freedom to our faith as well as the first step in walking towards better mental health. Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, it is hard sometimes to be vulnerable and say that I am fine. Uh, We have a feeling of what we should be feeling. Um, But there's also this narrative of, are we okay with God? I am not fine with God. Um, And that is something that Naomi pushes back against. She says, God has dealt bitterly with me. Uh, She continues to know who God is but is upset at the way in which he has acted. And that is a tough narrative for many people in the Christian church right now, because we think God is perfect. Everything should be fine between me and God, but it is okay to not be okay with what what is happening. And it is okay to wrestle with him in how you are feeling in whatever emotions you are feeling at this time uh, because God has made all those emotions and he knows those emotions. Uh, I know I have felt the pressure to kind of feel like I have a perfect relationship with God um, just because of like being a Christian leader or having been a Christian for a long time. But that is not realistic. That is not what people go through. And so we can look at the Psalms and at Mara and see that people have wrestled with God. David, the man after God's own heart, is often upset and angry and brings those emotions to God. And he just continues to wrestle with him in those those spaces. And so Naomi gives us a great narrative of saying, yeah, we can really wrestle with God in the midst of all of our emotions. And next, we have the challenge of asking help in community. And I think Naomi shows us this when Ruth is continually persistent about staying with her, and she keeps asking her to go and asking her to go. And eventually, Naomi gives in and accepts her help. So the question is, you know, when we are in the middle of really needing help, like I think Naomi in this chapter, like she needed help. She needed um, company and community in order for her to get through what she was going through. And for many of us, when we are offered help in that place, sometimes shame, pride, feelings of guilt, all of that can get in the way of accepting that help. Because as it was shown in her manuscript study, like a lot of people pointed out that, you know, one of the reasons that they don't ask for help is because of those feelings of being a burden to the person who is offering that help. I recently heard a quote from a church leader um, that talked about when the church is functioning in a healthy way in the way that God intended it to be, that the church is designed to give the unloved loved. In the book of 1 John, it talks about how the community that God has created is designed to be an extension and an arm of God's love. But part of what makes asking for help hard is that We have been hurt by others, and it has left our hearts charred and guarded. We guard them because, well, we've let other people in, and they've really done some damage. And so it can be really scary to let ourselves be known. And yet, when we open ourselves up to wise Christian brothers and sisters, 
there's something about it that allows the Holy Spirit to enter into the places where we have been hurt and heal the wounds from our story. Those people are able to extend the love of the Father. And here's the best part. One of the great benefits of being vulnerable and open with our stories is that it removes shame and opens up freedom for others to share their own story. And again, with the right Christian brothers and sisters sharing our story, it encourages them. It helps them to view their own story through the eyes of the wise and loving hand of the author. It's so hard to know in the middle of tragedy if God is writing a good story in our life. But for the Christian who has gone through that and is able to look back and share that story with their weary brother and sister, you know, they're able to say, as Candace sang so beautifully in her song for the mixtape, Chesed Amen, that yes, indeed, the story that God is writing in your life is good. And all of that starts with taking a plunge into vulnerability and sharing with others and saying, listen to my story, my weary Friend, God, the good author, writes beauty from tragedy. Yeah, thank you both so much. I think during our our study, I had this image, um, kind of from what both of you were saying, that uh, the church or maybe Christians, we feel this internal need to be okay. And I think about it on a number scale. If if positive is good and negative is bad, we, we feel this need to be at a positive two and like always looking towards God at the 10. And anytime we start to dip into like negative two, negative three, there's this triggering reaction of like, we need to get back to putting our trust in God. But Naomi, she goes all the way down to a negative seven and is feeling her emotions deeply. And I think, Oftentimes, culture tells us that it's good to feel your feelings. Just stay at that seven, stay bitter, stay angry. But what Naomi shows us is it's okay to be honest with yourself, with your community, with God, and be at the negative seven, but that's not the trajectory. It's okay to be honest so that when you turn back around, you realize that actually God is going to be filling this emptiness into something full, not just a positive two, but into the positive 10. Like that is the potential. Um, I love how much Naomi has to teach us about engaging with that season of emptiness. And, and we get to see Naomi's whole story, not just this, this hard bitterness in chapter one. Uh, we get to see the completeness to fullness by the end. So um, maybe could you track through some of the major places of this empty to full shift that happens through the book of Ruth? Uh, Matt, maybe you could take that. Yeah. Yeah, I think we really start to see that in chapter two, when Ruth volunteers to go glean in the field. Uh, it seems like Naomi doesn't have any plan to provide for them, but Ruth is the one who takes the initiative to go and glean so that they can have something to eat. Um, and and God provides for uh, them. Uh, Boaz is generous with what uh, he, he gives to Ruth and what uh, Ruth is able to glean from uh, his field. 
And so Boaz continues to help fill Naomi uh, through his generosity to, uh, to Ruth. And then you also start to see some of that transition uh, as she starts later in the story in chapter three, starts taking initiative and saying like, we need to find a way for Ruth to have a husband. So in order to do that, go, go meet Boaz on the threshing floor. And she starts transitioning to the place where she can actually take initiative, transitioning from chapter two to chapter three, uh, where she is very passive and starting to take initiative. Um, And then we get into chapter four, where we see a little bit more of that fullness. Yeah, totally. Thank you. Um, Yeah, let's go to chapter four, because as the book ends in this fourth chapter, we see uh, the women in the community who initially Naomi kind of responds really strongly to, uh, they are blessing Naomi uh, in verses 13 to 19. And this seems like, yeah, the fulfillment of, of the empty to fullness theme and the hope that comes. So what, what do you think that we can learn from Naomi kind of through this whole arc or through the women in her community? Uh, Kristen, let's start with you. Yeah, here in chapter four is the really exciting part. And that is the part of Naomi's story where God takes the bitterness and the tragedy and flips it around and shows how he has provided her with a grandson, a person to redeem her home. And they're able to celebrate with Naomi this wonderful turn of events. And I'll just read some of what the woman have to say here in chapter four. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. And later on, it says, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighboring woman said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. The women of Bethlehem are able to rejoice and praise God and participate in Naomi's story. Like I was talking about before, when we share our stories with other people, we give people an invitation to participate in the unique things that God has written in our lives and in our story. In Andrew Peterson's book, Adorning the Dark, he has this really um, beautiful quote from George MacDonald that he talks about um, that really helped him in writing about his insecurities, about um, teaching and sharing and inviting others into his story about his insecurities with writing. And this is what he says here. I stammered as I told them that I felt unqualified, but that I had to trust something George MacDonald once wrote about the inner chambers of God's heart. As a fir tree lifts up itself with a far different need from the need of the palm tree, so does each man stand before God and lift up a different humanity to the common father. And for each God has a different response. With every man, he has a secret the secret of the new name. In every man, there is a loneliness, an inner chamber of peculiar life into which God only can enter, a chamber into which no brother, nay, no sister can come. From this it follows that there is a chamber also, a chamber in God himself into which none can enter, but the one, the individual, the peculiar man out of which chamber that man, and this is the really important part, that that man has to bring revelation and strength for his brethren. 
This is that for which he is made to reveal the secret things of the Father. Part of what George MacDonald is getting at here is that in the middle of community, there's a lot of people, a lot of stories, and a lot of and a lot of amazing opportunities to learn who God is through the stories of his people. For example, here, the women of Bethlehem are able to rejoice and see God's unique characteristic of the Redeemer, of the one that takes those who are bitter and empty and gives them life and joy. We have this amazing moment of celebration over this new baby in the community that's been given to this old woman, and there is joy because this woman thought that there was nothing left for her. For those who are currently sitting in the middle of their stories, um, in the middle of you know maybe depression or grief or tragedy, I imagine that for a lot of people right now, that they have the same fear that Frodo in the Lord of the Rings expressed to Sam after he asks, I wonder what tale we've fallen into. And Frodo responds with this, I wonder, but I don't know. And that's the way of a real tale. Take any one that you are fond of. You may know or guess what kind of tale it is, happy ending or sad ending, but the people in it don't know and he don't want them to. And I think there's this fear for a lot of us that Frodo expresses of the question, how will my story end? But I'm so thankful, and this is the hope that in the middle of its weird imagery and prophecy that the book of Revelation tells us, which we'll be studying at the end of the summer, it's going to be so much fun. But that hope that the book of Revelation tells is that there is a good ending that God is going to be victorious and he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be a time when we are able to feast and enjoy and exchange the good things God has done in our lives in the middle of all the grief and the tragedy. Matt referred to earlier about um, reading in the Psalms, and I think there's often a duality of grief and hope that the psalmists express. You know, there is are these moments in the Psalms, and I actually um, was looking at Psalm 27 earlier before, um, yeah, doing this podcast. And, you know, the psalmist in Psalm 27, he's expressing his his grief. Um, there's a line that talks about how his parents have abandoned him, how he's just completely alone. And at the end of his psalm, he says this, and I, I love it so much. It's one of the verses I have memorized. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. You know, Naomi started her journey, um, probably believing that she was a dead woman walking. Yet even in the middle of her old age, when she believed that there was nothing left for her, God still brought good things. There was still goodness even in her old age. I think for a lot of Christians, we think that, well, at least we'll have a good life in heaven. Um, But there is courage that the psalmist brings that, yes, even in the land of the living, we will see God's goodness. And that's one of the really beautiful things for the Christian who really just feels downtrodden that they can take from chapter four of Naomi's story that, yes, God still cares. He is still working. And in the mundane of our everyday lives, God is still working and is capable of bringing a redemption into the areas of our life where we feel like we don't have any hope. Dang, preach, Kristen. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, totally. There is there is just so much good in that that we can learn from from Naomi and 
and from the, her community. And I, I just feel like the full arc of Naomi's story is, is relatable to anyone who has experienced grief and loss, which I'm sure we all have and definitely will. So maybe for you guys just to close off, is there any way that either of you personally relate to Naomi's story? Uh, yeah, I think I really relate to the story in this idea of everything is okay. That narrative, um, I think for myself as someone who grew up in the church and has now taken on a, a role with a, a missions organization that, like university, it feels like I have to be in a position often where I can't show my emotions. I can't show that I'm not doing okay because I have to be there for other people and support other people. Um, but that's not realistic. That's not who God has made us to be. We are people with emotions and we have good days and we have bad days. We have our doubts and we have our confidence. And so to really look at the story of Naomi and be like, you know, it's really okay just to say, I'm not doing well. I, can't handle this today um and that's that's fine that's been a lot of people's narrative through uh covid it's like i'm just not doing well today like i'm there's nothing necessarily wrong per se but it's just i'm not doing well today and that's that's okay um and so i've i've really been encouraged by the story of naomi to the be um, more forward with saying how I am doing and not just put up a mask and and hide that from from the people around me. So that's how I connected with uh, the story of Naomi. How about you, Kristen? Yeah, so for me, I relate quite a bit to Naomi. When we first started studying her story, we read her monologue in chapter one. Ooh, I it was pretty surreal as I was reading it. I'm like, oh, I relate a little bit too much to this. So for me, after I had graduated from high school, I ended up leaving um, BC to go to Ireland for a year-long time of doing missionary work. And I came back so empty. I'd gone away like really full and excited for what God was going to do and through a series of really awful and um just really hard events. I ended up coming back actually nine months after I was there. Um, and I definitely had this label over my head for a while of a failed missionary. So in a Naomi story, a lot of what I relate to in it is just watching her, um, you know, and just in those moments of being inactive and not really knowing what to do her, with herself in chapter two. And then when Ruth comes to her with, you know, with this bundle of barley, she looks at her and says, where did you get this? And there's just this turn in Naomi's story. And I think for me, um, where I've really seen the turn that God did in my own story was after taking a year to rest from, um, yeah, the missionary work I had done in Ireland, uh, God really started to heal me through the people at this Bible school I went to called Peace River Bible Institute. At PRBI, there's this really big emphasis on vulnerability and allowing others to enter into your story and community. And I think if it was not 
for the grace and the mercy and the love of the people there, I probably wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't have had received so much healing, healing as I did from those people. And at the start of attending PRBI, it was actually really difficult because part of the reason why I had gotten so hurt in Ireland was because I shared my story with people I really actually probably shouldn't have shared and it ended up in a lot of hurt. So and going and so as I talk about like vulnerability and stuff, I really do speak from a place of knowing what it looks like to be hurt by people and to have them use your story against you. But I also speak from a place of learning what it looks like for other people, you know, to show the love of God. When my heart was so hurt and wounded and I had pushed away a lot of people like Naomi did. But I had people who were roofs to me. I had people that, um, you know, like my now husband, <laughs> uh, who I yeah just love so dearly. Part of the reason that relationship grew is because of his loving heart for people. It was because of his kindness and his grace and his willingness to listen to my story. I'm um, the dean of women at my school and some of my closest friends. They were my roofs. They were the people that stood by me, even when I was in some of the darkest places, um, as I went through that process of healing. In addition to that community, it was also, you know, the beauty of the Holy Spirit um, coming in and really dramatically challenging my belief in his love for me. Um, there was a evening when I was presented with the question, if I were to stand before God on Judgment Day and he asked me, do you believe I loved you? What would my response be? And at that time, all I could say was no. And to be honest, like Naomi, and say, no, the Lord is against me. Um, but it was that night that the Holy Spirit brought me to my knees and really did a miraculous healing on my heart and helped me not only know God's love, but to know it in my heart that, yes, indeed, God loved me. And he was doing good things in my life. Thank you, Matt and Kristen, both for your uh, vulnerability and sharing some of some of your story and thank you for your wisdom um, in helping helping us understand and engage with Naomi's story we hope that for everybody listening that that Naomi's story is an encouragement to you that it is a place where you can name and uh, express grief honestly with with yourself and with community and with God and that you you can see the the redemption and the hope that that comes out of Naomi's story. So yeah, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Kristen. And we hope everybody has a a wonderful study of the Book of Ruth, and that God continues to meet you in this text. Bye for now. Bye.